Revelation chapter 22 and the verse 4. I want to leave with you the opening words. They shall see his face. See his face. And this face is the face of God. His face. And you know that it is future. It is at the end and in the new heavens and the new earth and the world to come. The pure in heart, the Bible says, shall see God. It's future. And this is the pure in heart day. When the new redeemed humanity is completely pure in their resurrected bodies and they see his face. It's not now. Today we don't see God face to face. It's impossible for us to see him face to face now in our present state. God's people are going to see him face to face. Uh, It is true that we see him in the glass darkly. The Bible says that. We see now through a glass darkly. But then, it's future you see, face to face. Now we see him in the word of God. And we're coming to the table too soon afterwards. And we see his face there in the elements, in the supper. But it's nothing like this that we're reading about in our text. This is face to face. And that won't be until the Lord returns again. Of course, the souls of men now that are made perfect and are in heaven, they see the Lord's face. But this text is about the resurrected bodies. Whenever the Apostle Paul talks about face to face, he's talking about the resurrection day. Because they don't have faces, spirits and souls. We have to have a body raised. And then face to face. And we know that this is face to face because it says his name is in their foreheads. And you can't have a forehead without a body. And so therefore it's the resurrection body. And it's in the new Jerusalem. In the new heavens and in the new earth. And then we see Jesus face to face. So this vision is, you know, referring to that day. And we must keep that in mind. And that world, this new world, this new heaven and this new earth and this new Jerusalem, where we see the Lord face to face, is nothing like this present world. This new Jerusalem has a likeness to Eden before the fall, but it's, it's just a likeness. This isn't Eden. This isn't Eden restored. But Eden before the fall is a kind of a picture, a likeness to it. And so we read that in Eden before the fall there was a river. And there's a river here coming from the throne of God. And in the Eden before the fall we read that there was a tree of life. And we read that there's a tree of life here. And in Eden before the fall there was no curse. And we read that there's no more curse here in the new Jerusalem and so there is a likeness to Eden this is far more than Eden this is beyond Eden this is redeemed humanity that has something far better than Eden far far greater 
Isaac Watts put it when he described the regaining of paradise where he displays his healing power. Death and the curse are known no more. In him the tribes of Adam boast more blessings than their father lost. So in Eden he lost a lot, Adam. And he had a lot before he lost it. But in Christ, the new redeemed humanity gets far, far more than Adam ever lost. And that's the marvel of grace that the Lord does that for sinners through his son, Jesus Christ. So there's the river, not only the river, not only is there the tree of life now, not only is there no more curse, there is this fourth thing that is restored to you. They see his face. And this is a crown. It's going up in stages. And this is a crown of all. They see his face and his name is impressed on their foreheads for all eternity now. And seeing that face, they become like him. And so this is the new paradise. And this is personal, all the people of God. And it's true for all the church of God redeemed. They're in his presence now and they see his face. Now the name of the city in the vision is the New Jerusalem. But it has no temple. That's the thing that stands out about this New Jerusalem. The Jerusalem of old had the temple. But this New Jerusalem doesn't have the temple because God is is amongst them in his person and in his glory. And there's no temple there because verse 22 of chapter 21 says, The Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. So he's present in his glory, God, in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And Ezekiel calls it Jehovah Shema. The Lord is there. He's present, not in a sanctuary, not in a temple, but in person, in his glorified humanity, He's present and he's seen face to face. You see, that was the blessing of Eden as well, wasn't it? God was present. God was in the garden. The Bible says he came walking in the garden. It's a very personal experience. God's presence in the garden. And it was God that talked with Adam. And it was God that brought the animals to Adam to name. And it was face to face. And it was God who did surgery on Adam and looked in Adam's face and put him to sleep and and tore away his side and made woman. It was face to face. And man wasn't ashamed. And man didn't have to hide themselves from the face of God. It was face to face. But then the man sinned. And when the man sinned, what happened? They hid from the presence of God. From the face of God. They hid themselves. They turned their back. Like the Lord said through Jeremiah. They turned their back to me. And not their face. And that's what Adam and Eve now did. It was face to face. But now they turned their back. And they're away into the trees to hide. It's no more face to face. The problem wasn't with God. God didn't hide his face. The problem was with man. Man did the turning. Man turned his face from God and man gave God his back. 
Do you remember how God judged man? In the sweat of your brow, it'll be seen in your face what you've lost. And every day you'll be remembered in your face what you've lost. And your face will age, and your face will sweat, and your face will wrinkle, and there'll be the evidence of the curse right in your face until you return to dust. For that's all you are on, and you'll return. Returning slowly, but going there in the sweat of your face. But now it's restored. They see his face. And of course it's, it's the face of the Lamb, isn't it? The Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not the only time in the book of the Revelation that the face of the Lord Jesus, the face of the Lamb, is referred to. It's the last. It's the last mention of his face in this book. And what a happy mention it is and what we're heading to, the people of God. But it's not the first mention. There are a couple of other mentions. One of the earlier mentions is a reference to the second coming. Because when the Lord Jesus comes back again, the thing that's going to be prominent is his face. He's going to be seen. The face of the Lord is going to appear. It's going to be manifested. In fact, that's what the second coming is. One of the names for the second advent is the appearing. We don't see his face now because he's not appearing. But when he comes back again, it's the appearing and his face. And of course, this is very prominent to sinners because they still do want to see the face of the Lord. They still want to hide from the face of the Lord. And when he comes back again, they'll not have been born again and they'll still be the same. That face will appear and, and they won't want to see it. Imagine not wanting to see the face of the Lord. How terrible must the condition of that soul be that doesn't want to see the face of the Lord. And so we read that when he comes, the, the people are saying, the mountains and rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne. Hide us from his face. They don't want to see his face and that's sad. That tells how frightening it is. And it tells that they still have the guilt of sin. And they still have the shame of sin. And they still have the fear of the wrath of God. And they want not to see his face. And would even welcome mountains covering them. So they don't have to look at it. And then the next occurrence is shortly before chapter 22. In chapter 20, the great event before the bringing in of the new heavens and the new earth is the great white throne of judgment. The Lord is sitting on the throne, and John says in, in the vision, I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. So his face is very prominent on the white throne, and there's this flying away, this scattering of all by his face. And then there's bringing in of the new, the new Jerusalem. And the next thing we read, the church. They see his face. And what happens? His name is written on the foreheads of their faces. 
They don't run away. They don't have to run away. And the Lord can write his name there across our foreheads. Face to face. That's a glorious day. Blessed day. And that's why the people of God have to be so living as not to be ashamed. Before his face. Before his face. And this isn't just a once off or a wee minute. This is forever and ever. It says face and the idea is that all forever and ever. Going on into eternity. Never ceasing. Every day. Every week. Every month. Always. This is their story. The C.S. face. We must never forget congregation. God has a face. One face. And that face we should want to see. More and more. And it's no good making up an imaginary Jesus. You know, there's people making up an imaginary Jesus, but you, you can't do that, you see. He has a face. He's only one face. You can't have a Jesus of imagination. The Lord is not just what you imagine him to be. He, he has a face. We see it in the Word, but we don't see it clearly, and we're going to have to wait to see it in all its fullness and all its reality. But we, we can't imagine a face. We can't make a, a, a false image. The liberals say we are looking for the historic Jesus. The liberals tell us all the four Gospels, they have just deified Jesus and given him an imagined face, an imagined Jesus. But they're wrong. Their search is for an imagined Jesus. Their search is for another face. There's only one face. And that, that face is revealed in the, in the Gospels. And the Gospels reveal to us the historic Jesus. And the apostles saw the true face of Christ. And you know what they said? We, we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. His face shone before them. He showed them his face. You remember at the Mount of Transfiguration. The word was made flesh and we beheld his glory. The glory in his works, the glory in his person, the glory in his everyday living, but especially his glory in the transfiguration when his face was revealed to them in something of this new age glory in the world to come. Remember how Jesus said to Philip, have I been so long time with you and yet you haven't known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. To see Christ's face is to see God. Remember how the Apostle Paul said that the devil blinds the minds of sinners so that they don't believe. But God who has saved us, he has shone in our hearts so that we begin to see something of God's glory. But where do we see it? In the face of Jesus Christ. It's the only place you're going to see the glory of God. Even in the new age and the world to come. It's the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The Lamb. Face to face. But now as I say we see through it. Through the glass darkly of it. Now what does this mean then? They see his face. Well it means they have no fear. You see, Adam had that in the garden, didn't he? He turned away from his face. He didn't want to see God's face. He couldn't face it. He was afraid of the face of God. These people here have no fear now. 
Because there's no shame now. It's shame that makes you not want to see God's face. And there's no guilt now. It's guilt that makes you fear the fears of God. And they have no accusers now. Because they're all in Gehenna. And the great accuser, the one who's the expert at it, Satan, he's in the Gehenna now. And there's no casting up sin. And there's nothing like that. And there's perfect peace. Perfect sense of reconciliation to God. There's no running to the leaves now to sew something up. No running away to blot it out of your mind, this business of meeting God face to face. There's no trees to hide in now. There's the tree of life. That's all they're interested in. And his face. And they're not afraid. This is because of the Lamb and because of his work, because of the cross. Because of the healing of his cross. Didn't we see in our studies what Christ does? He, for the healing of the nations. For the removal of all the scars. All the scars that have been left upon our soul. All the scars that make us to be emotionally hurt. All the scars that cause us to feel the shame. They're all healed. There are no scars that you want to hide and are ashamed of. It's all been dealt with. It's all gone. And they can look in his face. We can come out of the hiding of the trees. We can come out of the place of the false coverings. We don't need them anymore. Because we can see him face to face. And now we can see him face to face with the same peace. In accordance with our faith. In the glass darkly. But then face to face. So we see him as he is. Not another face. And this also means. It means unbroken communion. We're thinking about the communion this morning too aren't we coming to the table because when you come to the table you're coming before the face of the Lord Jesus and there is the communion the face to face in the glass darkly of course in the elements and this is communion without elements this is communion without the glass darkly this is communion without the word this is communion in the very presence of God without anything between without any means of grace whatsoever it's a full face to face experience of the glory of God and it's unbroken forever and ever and it's communion communion there's never a cloud between and there's never a covering there's never a veil and the Lord doesn't have to turn away his face in chastisement and rebuke. And there's never again any of that. It's the same face. And that's the end of the story. Forever and ever and ever. Every day. Communion. Fellowship. With God. It's wonderful. There's the river of life. Yes. There's the tree of life. There's the healing of the scars. There's the tears removed. There's the curse removed. 
There's Satan removed, there's the accuser removed, the dragon is not no longer about. It's all wonderful and perfect bliss. But this is the crown, as I say, the mountain peak. Only and always seeing his face. His face. Now how much we see the face of others is not even to be mentioned in the scripture. It's not that important. And there's no other name written on our foreheads, but, but his name only is not going to be the name of this great saint, and the name of Martin Luther, and the name of John Calvin, and all of that, all those names that we make so much of on earth. No, it's, it's his name. Only one name. Only one face. Are you going to run to see John Calvin? Are you going to run to see Martin Luther? Is that going to give you some satisfaction? No, uh, his face. That's all we want. That's all we'll have. Personally and as, as a body. The one face. Nothing better than that, people of God. Because it's such a lovely face. It's so transforming to see it. So comforting to see it. No face like it in the universe. How did Mrs. Cousin put it in her poetic paraphrase of the words of the covenanter Samuel Rutherford? The bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my king of grace. Not at the crown he giveth, but on his pierced hand. The lamb has all the glory of Emmanuel's lamb. And of course, there's a cost for this blessedness. A great cost to see his face. That we poor sinners who feel that we dare not look in the face of God, yet can. And I have to remind you of the cost. We don't deserve this sight. I have to emphasize that. We deserve our faces to go down into the Gehenna along with all the rest of the sinners. That's what we deserve. We deserve to be plunged into the lake of fire. To go face first into the lake of fire. That's what we deserve. And even in the new heaven and the new Jerusalem, that's what they deserve. But how is it then that they get this experience of seeing his face? It's because of the cost and the price that was paid by Jesus. It's because of the lamb, what he suffered. For you to see his face, he had to suffer in his own face. And the Bible is bringing that out time and time again, what the face of Jesus went through. So that you could see it. Christ's face suffered for us. And it's good to reflect on that, to think about this. And as we're coming to the Lord's table, it's good to reflect on what that face experienced so that we could look into it and look at it. And that face was prostrate in the ground. The ground that was cursed. The ground that we came up from as dust. The ground to which we go back again as dust. For us to be raised and to see his glorious face. He had first to put his face in the dust. He had to put his face in the ground. And he had that experience on at least one occasion. Though I suspect there were others too. But in Gethsemane. What does the Bible say? He fell on his face. 
He's lying on his face on the ground. Jesus had to go on his face. Not because he had something to be ashamed of. Not because his face had shame and guilt and he has to hide his face. No, because he has to find us. And he has to be humble to find us. And he went on his face. Imagine the Son of God on his face for you. Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And he's on his face. So he's the prostrate face. And then there was the sweating face, wasn't there? Because while he's here, the Bible says he sweat great drops of blood that, that dropped onto the ground. Now, it was a body sweat, perhaps, and his garments were being stained by the bloody sweat. But it's from his face that it's dropping onto the ground. You see, he's prostrate before the Lord, and this bloody sweat, as he bears our burden of our sins, so that we're going to see him face to face, there is a sweat from his face. The blood is coming through the pores of his face. He's suffering in his face. Why? So that you can see him face to face. That's how he loves you. He loves you so much. You who turned your back to him. He wants to win your face. He wants to get your face. So he has the sweating face. And then you remember he had the steadfast face. Because the Bible says he steadfastly set his face to Jerusalem. That face was determined. I will not see my face unless my face is steadfast to the cross. Unless my face is steadfast to Calvary. And so to see his face he has to point it to Calvary. He has to point it to the cross. And so he, his face is steadfast to the cross. There's no other way we're going to see his face. And so there was the steadfast face. And then there was the spat on face. His, his face, face is covered with the bloody sweat. His face is covered in the humiliation of human spit. They spit in his face, the Bible says. One of the most awful things could ever be done to a man. And one of the most awful things anybody could do to a man. Oh, there's great contempt. Great hatred and malice to spit on the face of a good person. And Jesus is a good person. And yet he received the spittle on his face. And don't you forget that when you look on him. What he received, that humiliation, that shame. They did spit in his face. And this was in the Sanhedrin. And probably also before the Roman soldiers. And you know what else they did? They smote him in the face. With the palms of their hands. They battered his face. And you know what else they did? They veiled his face too. Because the Bible says they blindfolded him. And so he has his face covered. Like a man for the execution. Covered his face. The Lord Jesus went all through all of us. You know, you're not going to see the face otherwise. You're not a good person. There's nothing you can do to see his face. The Lord does it all. I want these poor sinners to see my face. So blindfold me. You high priests and chief priests and elders. Cover me. 
And in your covering of me, my people will see my face. In the new heavens and in the new earth, without a veil, without a covering. And so they veiled his face and they smote his face. The Bible says, Luke tells us, they blindfolded him, they struck him on the face. And they said, tell us who smoked you. Tell us who slapped your cheeks. You're a prophet. You should be able to see all without sight. Tell us. They smote him. And he wouldn't tell them. Though he knew. What does the prophecy tell us? Many were astonished at him. Why? What is astonishing to look at Jesus? His visage is so marred more than any man's. His face is disfigured and deformed because of the humiliation. So marred. That's a marred face that you look into in that day. So marred. I use the words of Holy Script carefully. So marred. More than any. And his form, his human form, more than the sons of men. And you know how the Bible says, I give my cheeks to them that plucked it. It's the hairless face. Because the Lord had a beard, we believe. Most Jews, I think, did in those times. But they plucked his hairs of his cheeks. So they, they, they made him beardless. In a painful manner. I hid not my face, he says. From shame. And spitting. Now why did he not hide his face? For this day. That you might see his face. That's why. We cannot finish this aspect of the sufferings of our Lord. Without reflecting on the most horrific aspect of it. God hid his face. And the sun didn't shine. The sun hid its face. And darkness engulfed the land. And the moon even hid its face. And all the stars hid their face. And every symbol of the presence of God is removed. And God hides his face. And he has to say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why does your face not shine upon me? And brothers and sisters, we know the reason why, don't we? We are not going to see that face any other way. He died for our sins. One remarkable thing about the face of the Lord in the Bible is that it's never described. We never are shown the likeness of his human face. And that might seem strange we might think, would they not draw a wee image, just a wee likeness, so we'd have some idea of the size of his nose, the position of his eyes. Even could they not even tell us the colour of his eyes, green or blue, some aspect of this. A little simple outline of his face, it would be so easy to do that, but they, they never do. Well, why do they never capture it? But then what face do they capture? Do they capture the face before the cross? Do they capture the face after the cross? Do they capture the face before the resurrection or after the resurrection? Do they capture the face in the manger? Or do they capture the face on the Mount of Transfiguration? What face is it that they capture for us? 
And so we don't have an image of the face, nor are we to imagine or create one. Else would the Bible give it. No, we all have to wait, you see. Every one of us. Because the Lord wants a great special day whenever the whole body is present and all together. And so that one's not left out and one's not different from another one, but that the whole body together see his face. And that'll be an exciting day and a wonderful day. And even Job spoke about it. Though worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, he says. Whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold. And not another. He's not going to be looking at another. He doesn't want another. He just wants to see the face of God. Whom mine eyes shall behold. And we'll all do it together. That's the thing. And so that's why we don't have a description of the face of Jesus. It's always through the dark glass way. We're going to have to wait to see him face to face. But let me tell you this in closing. We'll not be disappointed. In all that we have seen him to be in the scripture. He'll be all and more than he is described in the book. And we'll just see that he was gentle and kind and gracious and wonderful and loving. That gentle eye, that lovely face. You'll see all that the word declares him to be. He won't be like that king. They brought him an image of of his bride to be. And she looked nice in the picture. But of course when she arrived she just wasn't as cute looking. And he was disappointed. That won't happen. You'll not be disappointed. You'll be rejoicing. You will see that he is beyond the picture. It won't be an anticlimax, but it'll take your breath away and you'll be like the Queen of Sheba and you'll have to confess the half hasn't been told me. Yes, he's the first of 10,000. That's only the half. He's the altogether lovely one. Yes, that's not even the half. Not even those words convey the half of it. The Bible's only half the story. Face to face. What a wonderful thing. So may our faith and trust be in Christ. And may we avail ourselves of the once for all sacrifice and offering that bought us. May we trust his grace. His grace alone, his blood alone, his cross work alone to bring us to that day. Whosoever believeth in him will see his face. So don't give your back to the Lord at any time. Believe in him. Let him see your face in the word, in the place of prayer, and in the house of God. Let him see your face and let us see his face. And to his lovely face be all glory and praise.